Hello and welcome to a special edition of the Computer Weekly Downtime Upload Podcast. I'm Cliff Saron and my guest today is Alan Reed from Bet365. We've been trying to set up this podcast for ages, Alan. Uh, just to get started, how have you been? What's been happening to Bet365 since we last spoke? And how did the Euros go for you? Okay, first of all, thanks, thanks, Cliff. Thanks for having me on your podcast. Um, really appreciate the time that you've given me here. So, how's how's things been? <laughs> we, we haven't spoken for a while now, which in, in about three, six, five years is, is quite some time. Mm. Um, our story of the Euros is probably our story of of COVID. Really, it's it's probably our story of uh, working in new conditions, working in uh, an environment in a space that very few organizations and ourselves included um, didn't really see coming, didn't really prepare for. Mm. And it's how we actually came out of it the other side. So the Euros was a culmination of um, a lot of work that we'd started during lockdown, which was quite a very interesting time for us. And mm. um, during that time, we'd managed to release a new website, a new app. Um, so we'd kept the, the cadence going, the, the transition going. And what the Euros did for us was very much it showed us the first time back from very little sport as an organization we're very much driven by the sporting calendar yes so when sport came back in such a huge way it was very much the first time since then we probably had well, maybe two years of innovation uh, actually really really tested on some huge numbers of, uh, of, of, of concurrency and customer activity so it was a great opportunity for us to really put some of these things to the test really check some of our new systems that we had in place, so our hmm. operational capacities in yes. place, um, and and how we'd actually how how we'd actually uh, did we get it right? Did we get those two years right? <laughs> and that and that's and, and and that's that's really our story of the Euros. It was yes. it was it was a, it was a great time for us to to really explore um, process that we put in place to really understand how we had adapted to life during and post COVID. Hmm. Could we keep the creativity? Could we keep up? our whole dialogue, could we keep innovation in those spaces, along with our ability just to keep delivering product? Yeah, could I just go back a little bit, um, if you don't mind? I mean, just, uh, I'm sure our readers would love and listeners would love to hear about what were some of the things that you took away from uh, COVID-19, from the pandemic, from the lockdown, from that time when there wasn't any sport, and then when things started opening up? Yeah, sure. Um, so, what we found is that, that there are many other things that you uh, that we could actually use and our, our creativity came to the space in the fact that we are a online gambling site, but mm. it, sports is primarily our, our, our product, but there are other things that we do as well. We are a, a gaming site as well. We do have other opportunities for, for customers to enjoy our product and we would bring those to the forefront instead. So the marketing guys were very clever mm. in how they actually sort of kept the customers on board, kept kept our product offerings out there and um, things that we would actually you know use and um, we have a lot of products that aren't necessarily live sports so we used a lot of the virtual products and they're very much brought to the forefront so it was it was as an organization we would move and re-pivot uh, our product offering in that space from a technology side it was it was you, you, one day you were in the office and the mm. next you were at home 
either if you're lucky you had a laptop or if not you were waiting for a laptop you know yeah. we, all of a sudden you very quickly moved to a world of teams mm. and what but on the positives what we did realize is obviously you've, you've moved immediately to a remote development position certainly from from where i sit in the world yes and what that meant to us was what we very quickly understood that provided you can allocate and partition work to an individual or small group of individuals that they can actually complete in their entirety or complete to a certain level mm. um, with minimal impact. There's there's actually very little difference between remote working and, and in the office. Uh, that, that's what we discovered quite quickly in terms of people's productivity, people's ability to do the job. Mm. The challenge comes what we found in our experience, and I'm, I'm assuming it's been different in other organizations, but from our experience, we noticed that the challenge was really keeping the development community uh, fed with work uh, to actually partition the work in such a space that the guys could 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 succeed as, as well as they had done in, a, in, a, in an office environment. Mm. Obviously, collaboration is the, is the thing that people sort of realize first. It's, it's quite hard um, to be spontaneous. It's quite hard. Uh, there's a lot of social constructs and that don't exist anymore and we mm. for many years like a lot of organizations pre-covid had used the strength of the office and the, the power of the office and uh, the strength of its community yes. to find um a lot of it is is indirect communication mm. it's it's signals it's the fact that you can interrupt drive people and it was under it was realizing the percentage of work that is prescriptive that goes to the development community and non-prescriptive that goes to the development community and how much of that non-prescriptive work you were given to the development community was was based on um, immediacy. And there was always the challenge of the red light then, because yes. as we all yeah. know in teams, it's very difficult if, if, if the red light's on, somebody's stating to you that their time is occupied. Mm. So we, we, but we, it, it's adapt. You know, you, you adapt and you, you find ways around it. And for us, it's been about how we've actually, how we actually segment our work to our dev community and how we segment our work out that can be done in an achievable and timely fashion. Okay, when we last spoke, um, it was about, um, I think, a tool called Golang, which uh, I'm still not familiar with, actually. Uh, but it's something that uh, Bet365 has been using quite a lot. Um, what's been the um, journey with Golang? So we actually started... Uh, our journey to Golang around probably about 2017. So mm. we were traditionally a Java house and a .NET house. Mm. So we got a Linux and a, and a Windows platform uh, pretty much split across the, the divisions. And what we were looking for is we'd probably gone to the space of we'd exploited both as best we could. Essentially, we're a niche product because of the peaks and troughs that we have and the way that uniquely we have to have everything incredibly timely highly availability and immediate we were always pushing and pushing and pushing and looking for the new next thing we came into golang uh, around about 2017 we knew we knew it used to build docker we knew it had been built with kubernetes we knew the story of golang hmm. but our thinking was that it seemed as though it was a very developer-centric technology and we're really we weren't we, that's really what we were looking for. We tend not to go with fashions. We tend to go for the best tool for the job. And Golang seemed as though at the time it had a lot of things that were really, really interesting to us. It was relatively easy to pick up. It's incredibly performance. Um, it has a thing called pointers, which help the uh, performance tweaking. So as I, as I will sort of mention countless times, I imagine in the next uh, few minutes, 
we are we uh, our customer traffic comes in bursts mm. so if you think of us analogous to something a similar model say um an online ticketing service you know the, the, there's very small amounts of activity and then huge amounts of activity so we were looking for software that helped us in that space and because golang is such a scalable technology we're always looking to reduce costs mm. We were making our migration had already started from Windows to the Linux platform. Golang works on both happily. Mm. Um, we were conscious of the fact that we wanted something that fails fast. We understand that the nature of our business, we needed software that if anything went wrong, we just need to flag up and highlight to us. Anything that gets to the customer is very, very important to us. And we will treat as a, as a high sort of uh, level incident and because Garland would fail fast, it was like, this is very important to us. This, this is something we were looking for. It also it had a lot of considerations around how it's packaged, mm. how it's built, how you would test it, how it's deployed. And it, it was a piece of software that we quite considered across the whole software development lifecycle. So we realized quite quickly, there was very little cross-training needed or very little um, education needed from somebody to understand the nuances of the language hmm. versus to actually get somebody to code business facing uh, requirements. Mm. I think we were speaking about, um, I think it's a product called Bet Builder. Uh, I mean, can you uh, briefly just describe what Bet Builder is and then how Golang can yeah, be used? So we're on two versions of Bet Builder at the moment. So the, the, the very first Bet Builder was the fact that um, a lot of our customers out there, they're going to place a, a, a bet with us. They'll either bet on a, a single event to happen. So Team A will score more goals than Team B and win the game. Or the, the outcome of or the outcome of the boxing match will be the, the box array. Mm. So what there is another key element of our customer base that is, is very, very interesting, compound bets. So they would like to challenge us and, and, and challenge themselves with, they would like a number of different events. So the outcome of a number of different events, anything up to, were we allowed to 14 different events? They would like to compound all of those bets together and take a price that was a compounded price. Mm -hmm. So they're prepared to put the risk in, take something that was a slightly higher risk. So a number of throw-ins in a football match will be over a certain amount. A number of corners in a football match will also be over a certain amount. The number of yellow cards shown will be over a certain amount and the goal scorer will be player player b so and then the, the price against those five eventualities is far higher than each one of those single eventualities happening mm. so our customers were very very interested in, in in that space and the idea was to give the customer something that would present them with an easy way of navigating what's quite a complex uh, site at, at times, just because of the amount of opportunities that we offer, not because it's particularly mm. designed in a complex way, but it, it, there's a lot of, it's a very rich site, a very data rich site. Mm. And the, our idea was to actually try and help navigate customers as quickly as we possibly could to giving them something that, that they could make these compound bets. So the very first implementation of BetBuild that was done in Golang and we managed, that was for the 2018, funnily enough, the, the 2018 World Cup, mm. very low, quite a while ago. And it was really, it was compound betting on rails. So it was navigation on rails. And what it would allow a customer to do is it would allow, we would offer one particular market and they would place the bet and they give a price. And then we'll get, allow them to have, they would move on to another screen. There will be a different part of the betting opportunities. They could pick a select, series of selections from there and it would give them a price. 
and then they would work their way through and eventually it would give them a total price and that would be the bet. Yes. So we started on that. We, it was the very first thing we ever did with Golang. So mm. Bet Builder version one, the, the, probably one of the last times we spoke, but certainly a time we've spoken in the past, mm. was very much geared around, we've got this new technology. How can we exploit this technology and to, to make it do something for us? And Golang really, really, really gave us uh, a head start. So we made our deadlines, we made our targets, which was a great relief to everybody concerned. And uh, it, was a, it, was a, it, was a, it was a huge success. Yes. And then what happens with any success is, yeah, we, you, you did that for one sport, you did that for soccer, now can we have it for all, all, all <laughs> many, many, many of the sports? And that's when a project becomes a program. So mm. it, it gets rolled out everywhere. And then later on after that, our very creative design team came back to us and said, what about this? And the next inclination of Bet Builder was very much a case of, we want to give a customer every betting opportunity in a grid that they could possibly have. So you are not navigated almost on rails anymore. We're not suggesting routes into to be to place your bets. Mm. You can pretty much see everything you needed on a, on a screen in real time. So as even in, even as the game is taking place. So if a corner is being, being taken or free kicks being taken or any major events being taken in a soccer match, those prices are all changing in real time. Mm. But it isn't just a small amount of odds, it's every possible permutation. And as you start to select your, as we say, coupon or the compounded bets that you're looking to select, mm. every single price is changing in real time. So you're actually building up a bet yourself of every possible, and then sometimes there are hundreds of opportunities available in any, at any one time. And that compound price is changing. So as you're adding or removing, you can literally see what your, if you if you were to wager five pounds, you'd actually would see the return on that five pounds, just changing and moving in real time before you actually commit to place the bet. Mm. So from a customer's perspective, it, it was a step above everything they'd been offered before. Uh, from a technology perspective, there was sort of loud gulps around the room when we first saw the design. It does seem that there's a heck of a lot of things going on in real time that need to be pulled together for you to present <clears throat> uh, the the bets on pretty much anything that could happen in in a game. And that that was the, that was the challenge. It was that concur- it was the concurrency mm. of something that we'd never considered to actually present all the way up to a customer, mm. because the computational power is is you know the effort is quite. Uh, it's quite extraordinary of what you would need to do in order to in order to get those there. <laughs> uh, so, I mean, what have you learned um, over the last years since uh, Bet Builder was introduced? I mean, this is, uh, I guess, some of the things you've just touched upon. But um, uh, I, I mean, over and beyond this sort of real time and huge amount of data processing, I imagine, that, that, that's actually having to go on. Uh, I mean, are there any other takeaways? Yeah, there was, there was, a, there was a few. One, one, from, one takeaway from the product side was, was literally give the customer complete freedom. Mm. Just, just give the customer complete freedom. That, that is far easier to say <laughs> than it is to build. It's a bit like one of those MC Escher diagrams. It's, it's easier to draw than it is to actually build it. <laughs> um, but it, but it, the, the, there, is, there is a truism in the whole thing particularly in the industry that we're in or, or any industry i think i think that choice is key and i think in sort of in, in the modern world that that is that is the key differentiator and if you can give your customer the 
opportunity to to model whatever they wish against your product um you 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 are you are you are far ahead of any competition in that space i think in terms of a technology hmm. um perspective lessons learned in the last five you know five years or so is that concessions are key to everything there's a, there's a story when we did bet builder which was you're presented with a challenge a technology challenge and the, and the first things you do is you you look around at what's available to you at the time and you say well look it is this a compute problem? Do, do, we, do we have enough compute available to us? So mm. you start to look from a CPU model, you look to GPU, you, you, you look to see if I can use hardware and, and can I throw money and tin at a, a problem and does that help? And in our case, it, it actually didn't. It, 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 would, it would give us a step change from where we were, but it certainly wouldn't bridge the gap. Mm. Um, and obviously when we, we sort of very quickly exhausted that sort of, opportunity that we, we had to try and save some time we then said well look is, is this a software problem and we looked and we said well no we we already have golang it, it, it did build a v1 it, it's, it's the best in class of what we've done we, we know that we know we've got the right technology to solve this hmm. and i think that the lessons that we learned on this is that it is technology's ability to help influence other areas of the organization where you can use technology as a, as a key driver of change and use technology as a key driver of, of backing up your business decisions and, and, and pushing yourself into places that you hadn't been before. Yes. And in certain cases, technology also has to reserve the the, the voice in, in, in that mm. discussion to, to say, we have actually exhausted everything that we, we would normally have done. We've, we've, we've used a, our skills and capabilities into a space where we've been able to succeed historically, but this ask, is is beyond what it's beyond our current capabilities but if you can make some certain other concessions we think we we know we we think we can do this Hmm. and we were very very fortunate in the fact that you know we we had a very strong design uh that we didn't want to make any concessions to because that was the key to the whole thing yes um but what we also did was with our sort of modeling team Hmm. they were prepared to make certain concessions for us um our trading team were, 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 were prepared to make certain concessions for us and you know we then thought well if those guys can do that the actual amount of compute that we would have needed to to solve something in a perfect manner that we can look at more of it we can turn this into a real world space now so the numbers that we need to compute we just need it to be good enough and good yeah. enough doesn't mean a concession to something that isn't excellent it's still best in class mm-hmm. but what it meant a lot of the time if you're dealing with particularly non-functional requirements but in this case it was a functional requirement your engineering discipline and your intellect and your technical curiosity will sometimes put you in a space where you're actually not presenting yourself with value anymore. And what you're doing is you, you are spending time and you're spending effort, you're spending resource in a space where you're saying, well, you probably didn't have to do that. You could, be, you could reappropriate it somewhere else. But unless you've had that dialogue at the appropriate level, you don't know you're in a safe space to stop. So one thing that at Bet365, you know, that I've, I think we're very good at is the fact that we, we do have a voice in that space and we can go back and say is there anything else we can do mm. and obviously there were concessions that we had to make as well so we we would use techniques um the well-known techniques to any technologists out there of, of caching and conflation mm. where we wouldn't you know we wouldn't actually calculate every price change if it was a, if it was less frequently changed we would understand we had um, a level of prediction about what we do so we know the things that change more often than not we know the things that are more likely to be 
uh, a customer's interested in so we can actually store it at their level. Because mm. one of the interesting things about Bet Builder is the fact that each individual customer at any one time, we have to store their compound bet in real time. It's mm. theirs, it's unique to them. Yes. It isn't simply a suggestion that we've given and 10,000 people pick that same suggestion. It's something that a thousand people can pick a thousand different permeations. Mm. So mm. we have to hold those at an individual level. So we are, and then be able to change that in real time for each of those people. Mm. And the numbers can become astronomical in our busiest periods. So the, the Champions League, the Euros, the World Cup, you know, they, they, they're astronomical numbers. So what we've had to do is from a technology side, is even once we look past the obvious, mm. it's can you, be, can you be clever in your strategy? Can you be clever in your approach? So caching was very important to us. Prediction was very important to us. Conflation techniques are very important to us. So if something changes 58 times, it may be the fact that you'll just make a concession to say, I only want the 58th price out of 58. And that's the next thing that goes into the pricing model. So you know, th th there are many, many, many options that you have. Hmm. And I think that's really what we learned over the last five years. And certainly Golang has helped us in that space because it's removed a lot of the technology blockers that we may have had in other technologies or historically we're starting to find that we had hmm. in those technologies. I guess, the, the, I mean, I mean, this is just an aside, that there must be lessons that, or best practices that can be applied in other organisations where there are massive permutations or massive numbers of variables that that can change quite quickly and you know somehow you're able to figure out how to make it compute i mean that I, I recently spoke to, especially on one of my podcasts to um uh <clears throat> a company that does uh quantum computing and you know that's the technology that promises to solve all of the problems because it can deal with masses and masses of um, variables at the same time. Now, it's uh, well, one could argue that that's a sort of scientific science fiction. Sorry, um, but even in the space of looking at you know one game of football and the number of variables that are happening, plus combined with the number of people, number of customers wanting to place bets, that you know. As you say, that's a, that's a huge number of variables, huge things, a number of things that are going on simultaneously. Yeah, and these can mean seven, eight, you know, these, these can go into seven, eight figures. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> and, and it's all in real time. Yeah. You, you, your challenge is real time. So I think that the, the first thing that we did is what every, what every, any technologist would do. You look around, see what's available to you, and you mm. try and see if there's a straight scale and in this case, in the, the, the our real limitation was time. Yes, it's often it's often time. You, you're trying to do the best you can in a fixed time. Mm. Um, as I said, we are around the sporting calendar. This is the the upcoming World Cup is probably the first you know, is, is the first time it's ever moved from that four year cycle since its first inception, mm. and nearly hundred years ago. Yes. So, the, we we generally run around uh, major major sporting events, and we we, we don't really want to be the company that puts something live for American football the day after the Super Bowl, you know, it, 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 these are, these are, these are, these are very, very fixed dates. These are non-negotiable dates. Yes. So in that respect, what tends to happen is we, our mindset is generally what, what we're already started to equipped on sort of plan F and G and H. 
uh, as well as with A and B and C. So the, 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 there are there are um, very direct lines you can take with with compute, computational power. Mm. What can we do in the immediacy? What what can the guys outside development can do? What the people inside development do? Everybody understands that if you're going to put compute to solve a problem, it's a less than linear uh, performance upscale that you're going to get. Mm. It's never a straight line. Um, the only time you're ever going to get a step change is either you know you're going to find it through software or you're going to find it through a, a formulaic or a caching model. It, mm. It's generally you need to do less with more. Yes. And and that that's 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 what we that's what we learned mm. from this is the fact that you 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 don't have to be perfect and you but you need, you do need to understand what good enough means and you need to make sure that the right people are those the people who are defining what good enough means. I mean it's an interesting uh, conversation this because it's um I guess it's similar to the idea of uh, lean manufacturing. Uh, if you, you know the the idea that um, have a minimal viable product uh, and understanding what good enough is seems to be uh, analogous uh, analogous to that uh, but then there's such high bars you have to achieve a certain level to make it good enough and so <laughs> i guess that's where the challenge for technologists sort of lies is in is is in achieving that but i want to move on to the uh, next question if i may and uh <laughs> Okay, so I understand that um, you guys have have some big plans ahead at Bet365. Uh, I mean, broadly speaking, how do you, how does what the company plans to do going forward uh, affect what you and your team need to be doing, both near term and as you sort of gear up towards where the company is heading next? Yeah, um, we're, we're, I imagine what we're leaning towards with this is is, is the, the challenge of regulation. I think we've, we've touched on it earlier in the fact that Bet365 has, has existed historically in a space where we have a product and customers either consume it or they don't. Mm. As we move now into a world where um, countries and states and government uh, entities are saying, yeah, well, we, we, we're, we're happy for our citizens to, to sort of converse with you with your e-commerce model but we'd like to set the rules presents a technology challenge that sits within and outside of development uh, that sits within our entire sdlc the pdlc the way we look at a product um, and touches all parts of the site so if you were to think of a single entity that is Bet365 that has a product and everyone consumes it or they don't. That's that's the way we've historically we've worked. Mm. The way we're moving into now is the fact that from a technology space, we need to be able to write code that doesn't necessarily um, make its way to all to all of our customers, and that needs to be stored in source. That needs to have a function. That needs to be built separately it needs to be released separately it needs to be tested separately it needs governance separately hmm. there is a one, one of the things about bet365 is we can generally do about around about this is this is normally a headline piece but we generally do about a thousand releases a week hmm. at bet365 and, and our change model is we can we can get things out in minutes um from uat and that's been something we've treasured and, and really really hmm. valued over, over the years 
when you're moving into a more regulated world where there's a, a, a governance body that says no we, we we need to certify this we want we want to make sure these changes are okay for our for our citizens that's that's a necessity that that's the right thing to do um but there's, now there's a there's a change cost and and that change cost can be anything you know from five to ten days maybe more mm. uh, if you need to you need to go back through the cycle so all of a sudden you need to consider what that means to you um, as a technologist and what that means to you as an organization. It can define how we write a product, how we look at the design, uh, how it's tested. Our form and function needs consideration because do you actually then start to say, well, I'll, I'll have a core team now and I'll have a team that just looks at these differentiations. Do I, do I partition everything off in that way? Do I, do I segment my the, the organization structures? Or do you simply say, no, 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 we'll, we'll, we'll do this on a task-based rather than a people-based segregation? Um, there is there is this change that is far more than just the writing code. It's understanding your safe stakeholders of the wider community of developments and what that means. It's why, you know, we, how it affects us in, in terms of our skills. You know, we, we've we already committed to Golang. We have, um, we've been very successful in the last few years of, we put together an onboarding process and a training program for Java and .NET developers uh, to move those into those guys into Golang and and, and help them come into the, these spaces. Mm. Um, and I think that that's something we'll have to push into. That's that again, Golang is key to all of this. That technology footprint is key to all of this. It helps us with the portability. It helps us with moving into spaces so that we can partition our code. Does that mean with you know is that opening the door for containers? Is that yes, it is. Is that Kubernetes? Is that going to be the answer? No, but it'll be part of the journey. Yes. It'll it'll be involved in it. it the, there's technology choices there. Yeah. You know, yeah. one of one of the things that we're really conscious of is the fact that we have a very much a a process that is geared to volume release. We have a volume a process that is geared to huge numbers of change and enforce that change management. One of the changes that we now have to accept in in our process is that of gateways mm -hmm. and there's there's gateways in there and you know we, we are looking out to uh look at innovative companies that we can partner with that can help us in tooling and help us on our sre journey as much as anything else we have our own sre team we're very 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 good but none of us have seen this particular space before you know this is this is new for us as an organization we're looking for people who are out there who can help us sort of how we how we federate our estate and you know that the, there's there's always the the traps of the distributed monolith models and we, we, we want to make sure that people out there have learnings that we, we would like to that we'd hope that they would share with us on, on this 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 next sort of years and these this journey that we're about to step ourselves in okay i've just got one final question alan and um it goes back to some of the things you're saying just earlier around how the business is changing and i want to ask you you, ha you have touched on things like team training and things like that this is how uh you know you, you've you've developed skills for golang internally and uh transfer you know getting people who are .NET uh savvy onto onto golang and, and all, all of those good things uh how i mean as the business moves forward and is, is starting to look at other ways you know as you mentioned it, there may be a case of having different um code bases are different for different regions for instance and doing different types of development work how how do you go through the the process of getting the team winning over the the, the teams of developers that that you're now managing that because it, it becomes 
it's no longer you're all working on effectively the same one thing. It's uh, now there's multiple streams of work for multiple different things that are going on. Uh, commu communication, uh, communication is everything on this space. One of the things that we're hugely huge as an organization, hugely conscious of is partitioning knowledge. It, it, it never works. It's the type of thing that looks great on a whiteboard, but you can't do it with, with, with human beings. Mm. Um, it, it, it doesn't, you, you can't. You, what we have had to start looking at is, is how we communicate more to a non-technical audience, the implications of change that come from a technical um, decision-making. So it's how do we bring on board not only our development community, but our people outside of our development community. Or if we, as, as I say, I, I can't sit here and talk about recruitment and not and expect that the, the people who are were hoping to join us are already familiar with how Bet365 works. And that, that's, we, we, live in a, we live in a hybrid world. We live in a world of remote developments. We live in a world of um, outsourced um, solutions. We live in a world of, of partnering, um, we need to and always ensure that at a very root level and a very simple terms, people understand why do we change things mm. and what are the implications of our change? So where I'm going with this is the fact that if we make, as you suggest, if we partition our code to say that code base A is made up of many, many different things, and this is going to go to uh, destination A, but what goes to destination B is a variation of that. We have to let our partner teams in compliance, let our partner teams in test, let our partner teams in product, let all of these guys, let them understand what that means for them. And I think that even within the development community, we can't say, well, you're just going to work on country, whatever, and, you're, and, you, and these other guys are going to work on a different country. It doesn't work like that. People have to understand the wider picture for them to succeed. Mm. And this has become more and more and more prevalent. It's, there's almost a way of thinking that was saying, well, because people are at home, you, you, it's almost like I'm, I'm going back on one of the first things I said, which is one of the first things we, we discovered when it was uh, during COVID, during lockdown, when people were remote, is that you've got to give people enough information and enough work that they can achieve themselves. Yeah. But you need to educate and inform people of the wider picture of why they're doing something. Because if you don't if you don't bring people on board with you as to why you're doing something, they'll never be able to help you with the what it is they're supposed to be doing. So I think that that's really absolutely key to us going forward. Yeah. It's how we maintain that incredibly strong communication mm. of concepts, of reasons, and most importantly, change. Yes. Well, Alan uh, it's been great talking to you. I, I hope we don't have to wait another five years before we can have another <laughs> <Sorry>. conversation. <laughs> anyway, uh, well, thank you very much for taking part in the podcast. And thank you very much for listening. Goodbye.